Welcome to the Get Your Goat Podcast. Again, Josh here with you. Halfway through the week. Almost halfway through the NBA season. Coming to a close. We'll be talking about that as they get into the All-Star break. All-Star game. More NFL news about Sam Darnold and the New York Jets. A lot of shakeup from just a few games in college basketball. Same with the NHL, Sidney Crosby getting COVID. They've been talking a little bit more about baseball since baseball is back. Let's get started into the show talking about the New York Jets and they are fielding offers from Sam Darnold. They're not looking to trade for a star, uh, maybe draft picks. But if the Texans and them were to partner up with Deshaun Watson, I think that would do it. Of course, the New York Jets would have to throw in a ton of draft picks and draft capital. Because Sam Darnold isn't really that that good. Uh, They spent a first-round pick on him. I do not see them getting a first-round pick back. Carson Wentz got a was a conditional uh, first, a second, and I Sam Darnold's been nowhere near as good as Carson Wentz or was ever on any MVP trajectory at all. Uh, Sam Darnold in the young career that he's been playing, three years in the NFL, uh, only thrown for eight thousand yards. Only thrown for 3,000 yards, more than 3,000 yards, one time in those three years. Uh, 45 touchdowns, 39 interceptions, and a rating of 78.6, which is not good. You look at that touchdown-interception ratio, it's almost at a 1-1 scale. And he's never actually thrown for more than 20 touchdowns in a season. Uh, That's huge. That he has not been able to do that. And actually last year he regressed and he threw more interceptions than touchdown passes. Truly Sam Darnold has not lived up to the hype uh, from USC that you know was kind of in that draft buzz with those quarterbacks. And when the Jets selected them uh, with I believe a number three overall pick. He has not lived up. To the hype at all. Not one bit. So I'm not surprised that the Jets are entertaining offers. Uh, wanting to see what kind of value they can get from them. Uh, they had, do have a high pick this year. A second pick. You know, If they like a Zach Wilson. A Justin Fields. More than they like Sam Darnold. Then it is time to move on. Uh, you know you erase that memory of that terrible draft pick. Wasted on him. And you try to recoup whatever value you can get whether it's a third round fourth round or whatever you can do you might be able to you know sluice the uh Texans because the Texans are so terrible they're such a terrible franchise that you can kind of fondle them however you want and get them to curve and give in to whatever kind of demand you're looking for so I could see some crazy Sam Darnold low draft pick type of vibe for Deshaun Watson because of how badly this Texans organization is run from top to bottom. 
but I don't expect any other crazy worldly blockbuster deal for Sam Darnold. I think it would be great for the Jets to get rid of Sam Darnold. It would be great for Sam Darnold to get a change of scenery and no longer be in the Big Apple uh, with the New York Jets, with those fans, with all the media attention surrounding the Jets. It is a lot to take in and there's a lot to do in the city of New York. And I just don't feel like Sam Darnold was ready and is the right fit for that kind of atmosphere. I do think since he is so young, he still has some upside from what we have seen. But there are some field issues that he has to take care of. His uh, accuracy, his timing, his pocket presence. There's a lot he has to work on. But with a lot of time left in this league, if he dedicates and values his money and wants to stay in the league, he will work at fixing those issues if he wants to stay in this league longer. Because I think he could have a bright future in this league if he starts taking this seriously. We had this last year with Dwayne Haskins, and I think the same should be said about Sam Darnold. And then, signing the Lions. I'm a Lions fan. I like the Lions. Yes, I have Mahomes memorabilia and Brady jerseys and all that. But I like the Lions. I went on rants in my first couple episodes of my podcast on the trading of Matthew Stafford and the hiring of Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes and all that. But today, the Lions signed wide receiver Tyrell Williams for around, I think, a two-year, $6 million deal. This may not seem like a big deal. Uh, The deal itself really isn't that big. But if you look closely, to me, it does seem like a bigger deal because most of their wide receivers are free agents. You had Geronimo Allison opt out of a season this past year. He didn't play, so but he's a free agent. Danny Amendola, Marvin Jones, Kenny Galladay. When you have Ty Bay sign a wide receiver, it makes it seem like they will not be bringing back more wide receivers and that they will be drafting a wide receiver if they can get a wide receiver to fall in their lap. There hasn't been much contract negotiations between them and Kenny Galladay, so I don't see a, see a deal getting done. And with Galladay entering his prime, I do not see him wanting to stick around for a rebuild either. I love Kenny G. I love him in fantasy. Uh, he is a great, great wide receiver, just a great possession wide receiver who's big, tall, athletic, can jump high, and can get those 50 50 balls and bring them down. He's a great great wide receiver, so I'd hate to see him leave the Detroit Lions, but I've seen a lot of great players come and leave in Detroit, uh, and he'd just be another one in the long line of players. Uh, But I hope whatever he does works out for him for the best. I don't think staying in Detroit would be for his best interest, unless they have a great plan in place to contend uh, shortly within the next few years or so with Jared Goff or whatever they take. I know Brad Holmes said the other day that there's a lot of flavor in this draft when it comes to quarterback. There's a lot of speculation there. Could he draft a quarterback? Is he looking into a Justin Fields? Uh, Brad Holmes you know, was that scouting director guy for the Rams when they selected Jared Goff. 
Is he fond of Jared Goff or not so? Would he want to replace him and draft his backup already? We do not know. But I think this signifies the end of key players such as Danny Amendola, Marvin Jones, who already has expressed interest in teaming up with Matthew Stafford, down in L.A., and Kenny Galladay. I do not think those wide receivers will be in Detroit come this time next year or even in the next month or so when free agency starts and we have the NFL draft. Now, moving on to the NBA. My NBA picks that I made on Monday, the first one, I was wrong about the Pelicans, or I was wrong about the Jazz, the New Orleans Pelicans beat the Utah Jazz 129-124 to in what was a very good close game. Uh, Zion Williamson, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, they all balled out, played terrific, all had more than 20 points. Uh, they played really well. Lonzo Ball was knocking down three-point shots. Uh, this season he's been really well. I wouldn't say I'll backtrack there. Not really well, but he has improved his three-point shooting than what we have seen in the past. So they played well and beat the number one team in the NBA, the Utah Jazz. But the Utah Jazz played well. They scored just defensively. They could not contain that young trio. Joe Ingles, who I was high on previously in our last podcast, he had zero points. He played around, you know, 20 minutes or so. You know, as I say with the Lakers, and I will repeat with every NBA team that I make predictions with and things that I see, you cannot be an NBA player and have 20 minutes of floor time, 25 minutes, whatever it is, and score zero points. It does not matter. Uh, I'm going to touch on this in college basketball in a few minutes. But in the NBA, uh, with the rotation, especially in the regular season, being longer and Joe Ingles being a solid player, you cannot be scoring zero points in a game. It is unacceptable. Yeah, maybe he only took three shots or whatever it was, but you need to knock down your shots or contribute in other ways, you know, two rebounds, two assists isn't much when we're talking about terms of stats. Even defensively, I think he could have played better on Brandon Egram. But it was a good wake-up call for the Jazz as we are calling them the best team in the NBA, uh, saying how great they are, and, you know, deservedly so. But it is always good for a great team to lose to a not-so-good team and have that wake-up call. And if the New Orleans Pelicans could just be more consistent, Zion could be more consistent, they could throw down more consistent, they would not be a sub-500 team in the NBA. But my other pick, though, was the... Uh, Trailblazers, I picked them to beat the Charlotte Hornets and get back on track. And I was right about that. The Trailblazers were on a four-game losing streak coming into that game. And I thought, you know, they'd get it together. And they did behind a vintage, mellow night 
Carmelo Anthony looked great that game. That was vintage. That was amazing. Dropping 29 points, uh, shooting more than 50% from the field, shooting more than 50% from the three. He looked great. Damian Lillard dropped 23 points next to him. Covington played well, 21. He shot more than 50% from the field and 50% from free three. They were very efficient. Cantor played well and dominated the inside. Uh, this was a great win by the Portland Trailblazers to rebound and snap that losing streak against a streaky Charlotte Hornets team led by LaMelo Ball. And LaMelo Ball himself has played great. And to me, he looks like the best ball brother already You know, in his rookie year in a short time in the league. LaMelo Ball is playing amazing. He dropped 30 points that game at 5 for 7 from 3, over 50% from the field. He has looked good. That tandem with him and Terry Rozier has been really good. Yes, they're streaky. Yes, they need to get more consistent. But that was a good win, even in a loss with Gordon Hayward out. But it was good for the Portland Trail Blazers to get back into the win column. Then... There was some big NBA action last night as well. You had the Nuggets crushing the Bucks. Uh, not really close at all from a start. It was not a great performance at all from those Milwaukee Bucks. Of course, Giannis gets his points, gets his stats. But that's about all you can say. From that team that night. Again the Greek freak Giannis Antetokounmpo. Needs to develop a more consistent jumper. In order to be a truly. Truly elite superstar. Best of the best player in the league. Yes he can be great on a defensive end. He is one of the best. Defensive players in the league. In the top three I believe. He is that good on that end. Yes he is this huge brute force. Coming down the lane and working the offensive zone, but he needs to develop a consistent jumper to be in the likes of the Kawhi Leonard's, Kevin Durant's, and LeBron James of the world in the NBA. That needs to happen, or else him and the Bucks will be losing to the better teams with the better, uh, yeah, with the better, more complete teams night in and night out. And Jokic had a triple-double, uh, Giannis could not stop him that game. Nobody, uh, Brooks Lopez, nobody could stop Jokic last night. The Nuggets look great. Six players had double digits. They were very efficient from the field. Jamal Lemurray played really well. Dozier, their uh, backup shooting guard, played really well. This whole team was very... Very efficient from the field goal percentage uh, to the rebounds. Uh, and they just jumped out off the gate. They were the faster team. And you could tell them their speed from a first quarter on and a complete and total domination of the Milwaukee Bucks and what it was for the Nuggets. And it was a great win for them in a tight you know, Western Conference just to maintain a seven seed with that win was huge. We see this, you know, with, you know, 
Lakers dropping games, Clippers dropping games, uh, see how tight really this whole race will be. I think Utah has that decisive number one b- between the two and eight spot all the way down t- really to the two to ten spot all the way down to New Orleans. It will be a wild, crazy playoff race the rest of the way in the NBA. But also last night, you had the Celtics edging the Clippers by five points. There was no Kawhi Leonard last night, and uh, we don't know if that was total injury or what it exactly was. It was a late scratch. You know, we thought he was going to be playing, but he didn't. But that was a great back-and-forth game. Reggie Jackson and Paul George looked great. Kemba Walker and Jalen Brown were sensational. And this team looks like they are getting back on track. Everybody was talking on the Celtics of Brad Stevens getting fired, and he's on the hot seat now, and, you know, they're not winning games, and now it's like, oh, they're on a, you know, three, four-game winning streak. They're playing really well, beating good teams. They matched up against the Clippers. They shot well from three-point land. They were out rebounding the Clippers. Uh, they were just the feistier, better team yesterday without Kawhi. Yes, that is a huge advantage not to have one of the best players in the league. But the Celtics took advantage of it and found a way to win this game. Kemba Walker resurging, uh, leading them in assists and in points uh, yesterday was huge. It's great for his confidence to kind of be up and it's nice when their star Jason Tatum has an off game that they can rely on Kemba Walker and Jalen Brown and other stars to kind of pick them up because this Boston team is really, really well balanced and I believe they should be winning a lot more than they are. But I think it's going to take some time to find some more chemistry with Brad Stevens and this crew. And then closing out the NBA world last night, the Suns beat the Lakers. And to me, it was just a little bit better Suns than it was uh, better or bad Lakers or whatever you want to call that. The Suns had five players in double digits, led by uh, Dario Saric, uh, Chris Paul, wasn't too involved all game. CP3 has been playing well, but last night his scoring didn't really show up in the stat column. But he had 10 assists, which were huge. And then his leadership on the court, you know, is just so valuable to the Suns and is really a metric that can't be measured uh, leadership. But what CP3 brings to that team in terms of his leadership, his experience, means so much for the younger players, you know, Mikael Bridges. DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker, having that CP3 who has uh, been there before to look to in, in these tight games against great teams like the Lakers and pull out a win is just a great boost of confidence for all those Suns players. Especially because there was a great effort by LeBron James last night, dropping 38 points. Five rebounds, six assists. Those were the kind of stats I said he would have to have to win games. Yet they did not win 
a game, the game yesterday, even though LeBron put up those numbers. Uh, Markeith Morris played well, Dennis Schroeder played well. I thought Montrezl Harrell could have attacked a little bit more inside and played better. Uh, KCP, Contavious Caldwell-Pope did not play well, didn't make a shot from three-point land. He didn't play well. Uh, Wesley Matthews, again, I have to get on him because I thought, you know, the trade are, you know, trading Danny Green and, you know, just the signing of Wesley Matthews would be sufficient in replacing Danny Green. But that has not looked the case. Again, another dud. Zero points by Wesley, Wesley Matthews in 23 minutes. Didn't make any of his shots. Yes, he only had two attempts. But when you're out there for 20. Uh, three minutes, you have to contribute more than just two rebounds. It's that simple. Uh, you have not lived up to the expectations coming in this year to LA. You were one of the three and D pieces, one of the ones, you know, replacing Danny Green, even if there was a little drop off in offensive production and streakiness. Uh, his streak has been ice cold. As of late, maybe one or two good games in the past 10. But Wesley has not played well. I cannot let him off the hook. Cannot let any of these players off the hook that's not playing well as Wesley Matthews, KCP, Harold playing more aggressively. That's what needs to happen. Especially when you have Kyle Kuzma not playing, uh, nursing an injury. you know, that just requires you all to step up a little bit more. And the Lakers did not do so yesterday. LeBron did it, but the rest of the team did not. And now you look at the Lakers without AD, and they are 3-5 and five without him. And my prediction was that they would be 4-5 and five in the nine games to close out that first half of the season without AD. They are three and five. They are one win away of my correct prediction of being four and five. Tonight, the Lakers play the Kings, and I thought, wow, Sacramento is not playing well. I'm going to be right. It's going to be four and five. Look at Josh calling this correctly. Then LeBron said he is not playing tonight. I think this is his first missed game all season long. So that is huge. I was so confident in the Lakers to finish 4-5, and five, but now I'm nervous. I think without LeBron, you know, the Lakers can still beat the Kings as the Kings are not a good team. Yes, they have De'Aaron Fox, who's a really, really good young point guard, but I think they can still beat the Kings without him. Of course, I have to root them and choose them and pick for them, even if my confidence is not the strongest with no LeBron or AD and possibly Kyle Kuzma, Marcus Gasol with a lot of players out. I think this could be tough for the Lakers. I would like my prediction of 4-5 and five to be right. I really would. But I don't know if that will come into fruition tonight or not. But I'm hoping for it. I'm hoping to be right even if 4-5 and five is of the best, sexiest record. I will still take it. Uh, that's what I thought, and I thought they'd still be fine, and they really are in third place in the Western Conference. 
with the Suns looking good with that win yesterday, passing the Lakers to get the second seed so far. Now tonight, making my two picks. The first one is the Nets and the Rockets. Now the Rockets really have been terrible. Really terrible. They looked fine initially without uh, James Harden. They were you know, winning here and there. But they are sliding, sliding, sliding on a 12-game losing streak. They have not looked great at all. But since this is James Harden's first game back against Houston and H-Town, I do believe this game will be closer than most people expect. Could it be a blowout? Yes. But in an emotional game, emotional return to Houston, I expect it to be close. But I expect Brooklyn to come out with the win tonight. James Harden has been sensational. Just pure greatness scoring the ball from James Harden. And I expect that to continue tonight. Even on the road for Brooklyn, I expect them to win big behind James Harden. If Kyrie Irving plays, I expect the Brooklyn Nets to beat the Houston Texans tonight in an emotional game between James Harden and the Houston Rockets. Then after that, you have the Golden State Warriors and the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, These two teams... You know, are very similar with prolific point guards and uh, three-point shooting specialists and Steph Curry and Dame Lillard. These two point guards have been amazing, averaging like around the same amount of points, like 29. Uh, They play very similar from shooting the three ball. You know, you have Gary Trent on the Portland Trailblazers. You have Kelly Oubre on the Warriors. A very similar style of play. Uh, they score around the same amount of points at 114. Have the same amount of rebounds and blocks and steals and stuff like that. They're shooting from the field. I mean, these teams could be identical. And they have close to identical records. They both have 19 wins. With the Warriors having two more losses. But I expect the Warriors to win tonight. Because I think Steph is the better point guard between him and Dame Lillard. He has proven that time and time again with records that he has broken. And with the Warriors looking so bad against the Lakers in their last game that they played, the Lakers just shellacking them, which I did not expect uh, with Steph not playing well. I expect Chef Steph to return tonight and light it up from three-point land I feel like he's going to get it done, and him and the Warriors will win this game in a close one in Portland. I'm rolling with Golden State. That's it. Moving on, shifting to the basketball of the college world. I was wrong on another pick. That was... Oklahoma, I had winning on Monday against Oklahoma State in the back-to-back Bedlam games. But Oklahoma lost, and they couldn't do it again, a back-and-forth game. But Cade Cunningham 
put the team on his back as of late. And Oklahoma State got a huge, huge win for them. Uh, those two wins back-to-back have been huge, uh, vaulting them above. Now Oklahoma in the Big 12 in the top four conversation, especially with that West Virginia loss yesterday, which I'll get into in a second. But that has proved huge dividends for them as they still play Baylor and West Virginia. They could really solidify a top four seed in the tournament when it is all said and done. Now moving on to Baylor and West Virginia. I really like West Virginia. I had them as my number five in my top five power rankings, even though they were ranked six. I thought, you know, they would win this game uh, because of Baylor just looking really rusty their past couple games. But look like they found their spot back, and they are back last night after their COVID pause. That looked like the Baylor we saw a month or two ago. And it was really a back-and-forth game between Baylor and West Virginia. Baylor was a tad more efficient. Both teams had four players in double digits. There was a showdown between Taz Sherman and Jared Butler. And what was just a great game, the buildup of number three Baylor versus number six West Virginia, definitely lived up to the hype. This game was amazing. You had McNeil for West Virginia knocking down three points and Baylor answering it. It just had all the action. Went into overtime, and Baylor won with their first Big 12 Conference regular season title in 71 years. They wrapped it up yesterday. And really, to me, the big thing was in overtime. West Virginia had a huge turnover. They were about to get on a fast break after a missed, uh, you know, kind of missed layup shot from Baylor turnover. And it looked like West Virginia was going to push up off the court. And there was an awkward exchange between Taz Sherman and another player with the ball. And they turned the ball over. And next thing you know, Baylor scores a three right after that. And to me, that kind of changed the overtime game as West Virginia was kind of up in overtime. And then after that, Baylor was really secure in that win and didn't flinch at least down and lose the game afterwards so it was a great win by uh Baylor not taking away anything not I'm not going to take anything away from West Virginia as they were great as well they were much greater than what the next game was this was built up to be one of the games of the year Illinois versus Michigan four versus two this was supposed to be great but West Virginia would have dominated Michigan Yesterday, any team would have dominated Michigan yesterday, as Illinois did. Michigan was so bad yesterday, and I think it was more of bad Michigan than it was great Illinois. Uh, Michigan was just terrible. They were 34% from the field, 2 for 7 from 3. Only 2 made 3 points the whole game. Let me say this, they lost 76-53. to Only two made three-pointers. They were out-rebounded. And Michigan's leading scorer 
was Eli Brooks with 11 points. 11 points was the leading scorer. The only scorer in double digits had 11 points. And what else Eli Brooks did? He was only one of two players with more than three shots, made three shots or more made. The other one was Austin Davis, uh, you know, backup center for Hunter Dickinson. He was four for four. But only those two had three shots or more made the whole game. The rest had two or one or none. Uh, Michigan was terrible. Uh, the uh, Coffee Coburn for Illinois dominated Dickinson. He wasn't spectacular on the offensive end, but defensively, he played really, really well and got aggressive from him. As I said a couple weeks ago about Dickinson uh, dominating Garza, uh, Dickinson got a taste of his own medicine yesterday. He was banged up. He was made uncomfortable all night long. This was huge in terms of seeding in Big Ten. Michigan with a win would have clinched the Big Ten title. Now Illinois is just two games. They only have one, but Michigan has two. So Michigan loses two more. And Illinois wins their final game against Ohio State. Illinois wins by divisional crown. All Michigan, though, has to do is win one more against the remaining two games against Michigan State. Or they can hope for an Illinois falter. But it was good to me, especially with Illinois, without Illinois' best player. Illinois came up to the table, and I really don't want to meet Illinois ever again with their best player back on the field, Io. And that could be the chance. Michigan, I think, will definitely see this team again in the Big Ten championship game in a week and a half. I really think that will be the case. And I'm glad Michigan got their butts kicked. Got it handed to them last night. They can take this loss. They can rebound, regroup, get back in a win column against Michigan State and realize that Illinois is no team to play around with as they are a real threat. And it's established Illinois is almost, if they, I think if they beat Ohio State, they could lock up the fourth and last number one seed. I really do, and I think that would be great for Michigan as you at least have another Big Ten team getting a number one seed. You don't have all these, you know, Ohio State, Iowa, Illinois, number twos going around the bracket, especially in your bracket. Michigan doesn't want that. And then after that, in the triple header, you had Purdue Edge, Wisconsin, and a big win for them because with Ohio State on their recent you know, three-game skid. That primed Purdue to take that fourth spot. So with that win against Wisconsin yesterday, they're now on track to get the double by and the conference tournament have the number four seed, which would be huge for them. And I think huge for Michigan as it gives Ohio State another chance to lose a game. And that is just great news for Michigan and great news for Purdue and Purdue fans Getting that double by, it has shown how important it is in the tournament games. The conference tournament really is huge. So tonight, I'm going to get my pick on Creighton 
and Villanova. And I'm rolling with Villanova because last time these two teams matched up, Creighton won. Creighton looked really well in Creighton. But this time it's in Villanova. I expect Villanova to get their revenge, wrap up this division title right away. That's what I expect, and I definitely think it will happen. Now moving on to the NHL. My boy, my favorite NHL player, Sidney Crosby, got COVID-19. So he did not play yesterday. You had my brother telling me, oh, they're not going to win any game without Sidney Crosby. I kind of believed it. I'm like, oh, they will be down against this Flyers team. But no, no, sir, not these Pittsburgh Penguins. These Pittsburgh Penguins won and won big against a good Philadelphia Flyers team behind a great performance by Kasperi Kapanen and Tristan Jari. Tristan Jari was sensational in his 40-save effort yesterday, uh, getting peppered all night long. Kapanen looked great. Uh, Malkin was dialed in even though his stats don't show it. To me, he looked really good, and he always steps up with Crosby out. That's what he does. This Pittsburgh team showed life yesterday, had fans back in the stands, even though it was very limited and a small number. The Penguins look great, and guess what? They lost their last game against the Capitals, and they won this game. And as I said, they win one, they lose one. So I would not be surprised if they lose again tomorrow to the Flyers. But I am just happy they won without Sid the Kid. Now time to get into my top five NHL teams. Number five, the Vegas Golden Knights. Why are they number five? Well, behind the strong goaltending of Marc-Andre Fleury, who has been sensational, not letting pucks into the back of the net. Their penalty kill has been really well, which has been anchored by Fleury in this this defense. Uh, William Carlson, Mark Stone, this team has played really, really balanced, uh, more so in the past, whereas they lean on their defense and goaltending. But now, to me, it looks like some players like Mark Stone, Alex Tuck, have taken the next step offensively to fill in those holes. That's why Vegas is number five. Number four, I have the Washington Capitals. They're leading the East Division, so they have to be in the top five. They've looked well. Nicholas Backstrom, in particular, has played really well, leading them in all Uh, points, goals, and assists, and I hate to say it because I do not like Nicholas Backstrom as a Capitals or as a Penguins fan. I do not like him. I do not like the Washington Capitals, but I have to give props where props is deserved. Uh, Their goaltending situation is shaky with Vita Vanacek back there, but uh, the rest of the team has stepped up around them, and they just win games in the regular season. Seems like the past Six years or so, that's just what the Washington Capitals do. Number three, the Florida Panthers. Why are they number three? Why? Because of the strong goaltending play by Sergei Bobrovsky. Uh, All these memes last year of him just taking money after great years just to retire there in Florida. But he is resurging as a great goaltender in this league. And a lot of their players are making contributions as a great team. 
with, you know, their core of uh, Alexander Barkov and Huberdo and Ekblad and Keith Yandel. They're all playing well, but also their new additions of Alex Winberg from the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets, Patrick Hornquist from the Pittsburgh Penguins. They all have been playing really, really well, complementing each other, and it shows out there, out on the ice, and it's leading to wins, which is why they are number three. Number two, the Tampa Bay Lightning. Why? They are led by goalie Andre Vasilevsky. Again, another strong goaltender mentioned in this top five. Steven Stamkos has played great. And I have to give my apologies to Steven Stamkos, as I was saying before. You know, I started this podcast, and even last season, and even maybe the first few episodes of this podcast, I would pick on Steven Stamkos as, you know, that injury-prone player. And I will still say he deals with injuries. But I said he would not be returning to his former self as he is just too inconsistent out on the ice. So far this season, he has proven me wrong. And Stamkos has been playing really, really well this whole season. Who is the number one team in the NHL? To me, it's undisputed. It is the Toronto Maple Leafs so far, led by their young stars of Austin Matthews, who is playing sensational to me, is the favorite for MVP, him dueling it out with Connor McDavid in that division, especially after beating him twice in a row. I'm giving it to Austin Matthews. They're playing well. Mitch Marner, John Tavares. And also, what's the theme here between most of these teams in the top five? Strong goaltending play. Frederick Anderson has played well all season, but even with him being out, Day to day, their backup goalies have played really well, Hutchinson and Campbell. So I have to give it to all of them in that rotation for playing really well. Toronto is the best team in the league because they have the offensive firepower and a strong, strong goaltending play all around. So my top five again the Vegas Golden Knights, the Washington Capitals the Florida Panthers, the Tampa Bay Lightning, and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Now tonight, my two predictions. The first one is the Capitals and the Bruins. And what is a showdown for supremacy in the East Division? I have the Bruins winning. Uh, Bruins on kind of this, I wouldn't say a true slide, uh, since they went to the Rangers, but they weren't particularly impressive getting blown out in back-to-back games. But with Washington playing kind of an easier opponent than the Devils as of recently, I think Boston will get on track and they will win tonight behind the efforts of Brad Marchand, the rat who I do not like, and Tuka Rask. I have the Bruins winning this game. Then after that, my next game I said I'll pick is the Blues and the Ducks. I have the Blues winning. You know, Anaheim was kind of creeping up there, but as of late, they have not been playing well, losing five in a row ever since, you know, they were playing good. Those huge losses to the Arizona Coyotes have kind of proved detrimental to them. So I like St. Louis in this game for sure. That's my pick, the Blues. That is all I have. 
for those sports. Now time to get into the MLB, which is also part of my final get your goat take. To me, this is kind of be coupled in one. Uh, last type of thing is I'm going to go off right now in my get your goat take on what I am about to say. But first, before I say that, in regards to the MLB, Aaron Boone uh, left the Yankees today. He had a medical leave of absence. I think he, a pacemaker was getting put in place for him. And I do hope him nothing but the best. I hope he feels better, uh, gets better uh, with his surgery. Uh, he won't be managing games, of course. But even though I hope he gets better, I hope he takes a long break away from the Yankees, possibly all year. And I am happy he is not in tonight to manage the game or manage for the foreseeable future until he gets back and is healthy. I do not like Aaron Boone as a manager of the New York Yankees. Uh, I thought the first, uh, to me, it was really after that first year, I did not like him. You always have hopes for new managers and new coaches coming in. Uh, But Joe Girardi was loved by the Yankees. And after he could not do it in the ALCS to the Astros, they thought, let's get rid of him, Joe Girardi, and let's replace him with Aaron Boone. And I thought, you know, I could see it. You know, Girardi, you know, should have got him over a hump. But then again, it was all those players' first year. They were ahead of a curve with Gary Sanchez and... uh, uh, Aaron Judge, but they to me it looks like they have taken a step back with Aaron Boone. Yes, Joe Girardi could not get them to the World Series, but neither has Aaron Boone. In his first man, uh, managerial season in 2018, they lost to the Red Sox and the ALDS. It is never a good sign to lose to your most hated rival, the Red Sox especially in the ALDS, and that propelled the Red Sox to win the World Series that year. That was not good for Yankees hands, or for me that left a bad taste in the mouth, and especially because they blew so many games. Yankees could not win the division or get the top seed. They were number two to the Red Sox because they blew so many close games. I think they had something as many as 26 or 27 uh, one score games they lost by you know by just by one uh, score, so that was huge. That was not a good sign for Aaron Boone and the Yankees. Then 2019, you come back, you look better. Uh, signing of DJ LeMahieu, uh, who proved huge that year. He was just a machine, but to me the best Yankees and most consistent Yankee player. You know you trade for. John Carlos Stanton, you have him, you have this juggernaut, and you play really well, but you lose to the Astros in the ALCS in 2019 because of bad management in late game situations. Uh, you know, you kind of put force too many innings on people. Uh, you killed Luis Severino's arm so that he could not pitch anymore. Uh, you put him in too much when he was having a spectacular season. And in late game situations, you caused the Yankees the games with bad decisions that you made trying to manage the game too much and not letting the players play. And that cost the Yankees in 2019. 
I mean, last year in the year of the pandemic, they lost to the Tampa Bay Rays. The Rays also won the division, and they lost in the ALDS to them. You had John Carlos Stanton play well, but none of them played well, and they didn't even look like they belonged in the ALDS. Uh, again, Boone not making wise decisions with the bullpen, always having a great, strong bullpen, but Aaron Boone not being able to manage late-game situations well, clutch situations, playoff high, heightened situations. To me, Aaron Boone cannot do it. He is not the man. That is why he has to go. I believe this is the last year of his contract. He had that one-year, uh, you know, kind of extension thing at the end after his three years, and they accepted it, so he's back now. But hopefully he's not back, really. I hope he gets well. But in terms of his managing games for the Yankees, he has been a very poor manager, only won the division once, uh, lost the division twice to big rivals and the Red Sox and Rays, and also lost to just a huge rival, not even a division, just a huge, huge baseball rival in general, to the Astros uh, dancing on you. So really, all three of their losses in the playoffs have been very, very painful because they have all fielded really good teams that have matched and if not have been better than the opposing teams. So to me, that is why Aaron Boone has to go. I hope this is his last year on his contract. I wish him nothing but the best, but I do not want Aaron Boone returning for any more seasons for the New York Yankees. If they want to win championships with the young core that they have, they have to get better. Yes, in future podcast episodes, I will talk about things they have to address with the team, specifically talking to you, GM Brian Cashman. But to me, the first thing is to get Aaron Boone out of there. I'm going to leave it at that. That's my final take. Hope everybody enjoys the rest of your week until I talk to you again. Bye, everybody.